Remain standing as we read a portion of this conclusion on the Sermon on the Mount, as we have traversed our way for many months now through this one sermon, and so impactful and so deep that we now are going to spend many weeks or several weeks on its conclusion. We're going to begin reading at verse 15 and then ending at verse 23 for this morning. Let's now hear the Word of God. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall we shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you depart from me. You who practice lawlessness. Let's pray. Gracious Father, as we come to this very sobering passage of Scripture, we pray that You would help us to come to this in the right frame of spirit, in the right frame of mind. That we might come to You in faith, trusting in Christ and Him alone. And knowing the testimony of the Spirit in our hearts that does cry out, Abba, Father, testifying that we are your sheep and we can hear your voice. So I pray that you would empower this message with your Spirit and cause it to go beyond our minds into our hearts that we would embrace it with our love and that you would transform our minds and renew them And we pray that you would conform us all into the image of Christ, our Lord, our Good Shepherd, whose voice we long to hear. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. may be seated. In our information age in which we are all a product of a culture that is quite impactful, we have all kinds of access to all sorts of of information, and we can access it almost instantaneously anytime we want. In my recent trip to a doctor's office, there was in the office a particular electronic screen that would flash these messages that would be helpful. Messages on what I need to be eating, messages on exercising, messages that were little messages that would teach me. And one of the messages that it dwelled upon, um, and it had a sign of Google, and someone warned me against self-diagnosis. It was a warning intending to help patients who have succumbed to a particular fault because we have information available to us we have now we also think that we become our own god in that information and therefore we tend to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think 
Now this is what Jesus, in a sense, was doing in His conclusion. He was bringing some warning to us. He wanted His hearers to truly get His message. He wanted His hearers to receive what He had been preaching in all of these chapters. He did not want these things to be for naught. And He wants each one of us of His people who call upon His name to enter the narrow and the straight gate. He wants us successful. But He also knew that there was going to be many dangers and many threats and many deceptions that would keep many people from ever getting into the way of life. And one of those great dangers would be false prophets and false teachers who would appear to be solid teachers of the truth, but who really were not. And the first warning Jesus gives to us after He has expounded the the narrow and the straight gate and the way of life and, and how narrow it truly is, the first warning He gives to us on the heels of that is a warning of the danger of false teachers who would try to divert us away from that. America has produced quite a number of false preachers. And they are still in every or churches of every kind. They are in Baptist churches and Methodist churches. And they are in Reformed Presbyterian churches. They are in every kind of of label that you can think of kind of church. And God's people need to exercise great care in what they listen to and what they emulate regarding ministers of the gospel. Since a minister leads primarily by what he teaches And by the example of the life he lives, false teachers can cause great dangers to the souls who are very vulnerable and undiscerning in these things that the Lord now encourages us with. So let's think about what the Lord is saying here. First of all, there's a description of false teachers. Now, the main characteristic of a false teacher, which is not part of the description, but a main characteristic of a false teacher is deception. Deception is a falsity to which we are all prone. In fact, there's a whole world, a whole genre of entertainment that we call illusionist or even magicians, and people pay millions of dollars to go to a particular type of entertainment to pay to knowingly be deceived. And they are fascinated with the fact that others can deceive them so readily and so quickly. And it is quite astounding when you look at some of those deceptions and the skill that they have given their lives to. And we think it's fun to be entertained with being deceived. But the fact is, we're very prone to being deceived. 
A part of our own nature inherently is to be deceived in their fallenness. In fact, our very hearts in which we were born in this world of fallenness is deceptive. And that's what Jeremiah says, our own hearts deceive us. How can even we know our own hearts? So it's no wonder that it's easy to to visibly deceive someone with sleight of hand. But there's something much more important and much more profound beyond a sleight of hand skill in order to deceive the eyes. That's pretty easy, actually. But something much more sinister and something much more perilous to our eternal health, to our eternal security. Satan himself is a master of deception. Jesus himself called him the father of lies. He has the ability to deceive even the sharpest and the most theologically astute person. He is stronger in mind and deception than the most astute theologian who has ever lived. That is part of the object lesson that we should know when we go as the people out of the land of Egypt and along every single turn we are faced with new enemies who are stronger than we are who inherit or who are in fortified cities that are stronger than our armies, who have a great defense. And God wants us to know from all of those illustrations of historic history past that your enemy is stronger than you are. And don't think that it's an enemy that you see in the flesh. The way he can get you to believe and his deceptions are stronger than your ability to overcome. And he is behind all of the false teachers that pretend and who are impostering the true teachers. Deception is a main characteristic behind all false teachers. Now, thankful that we've got Christ who does remove the deception of our own hearts who changes our bent, who gives us clarity, and even here instructs us in ways that we do not have to be deceived, and instructs us by His Word, with His Spirit, giving us the ability to discern so that we can find the narrow way, and it is what Jesus wants us to do. So it's not without despair. But it is with sober-mindedness that we need to come to a passage like this and we need to understand that we are not exempt from the dangers and the threats that will come upon us. And there already are. In so many ways. And in so many avenues. And through so many mediums. So a few notable things that we should consider about these false teachers. Look at the description. In verse 15, he says, Beware the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. The appearance of a false prophet and a false teacher may come to you as a sheep. Now, I remember very fondly one of my favorite cartoons when I was a child growing up was Bugs Bunny. I learned most of my early childhood classical music from Bugs Bunny, the Barber of Seville. But there was one particular scene or a particular cartoon where uh, you have 
uh, Sam and Ralph. And I'm dating myself here, but you have Sam the sheepdog and Ralph the wolf. And Ralph was always trying to get into the sheepfold and try to steal some wolves to prey upon them. And humorously, Sam and Ralph would go to the time clock that morning and they would each punch their time clock and then they would do their duty. And Sam would go to his place of the sheepdog looking out over the flock and Ralph would do his duty of going by nature and by what his work was for the day to go and try to steal the sheep in order to feast upon them. And he, on one of his occasions, would throw a cloak of a sheep's skin across him and would crawl across the, the flock and, and everything looked really good for Ralph succeeding at that moment and he one by one would start snatching up the sheep underneath his cloak and he would try to trot off looking like the sheep. And we can laugh at that scenario, but that is exactly the truth of which Jesus is trying to illustrate that you are a flock of sheep and there will be ravenous wolves that come in and they're going to look just like sheep and they're going to be very hard to detect. What Jesus is saying here is false teachers will not at first be easy to pick out. They will not be easy to recognize. Satan himself can appear as an angel of light and says certainly a preacher of the gospel could certainly look like a good sheep. What he's saying here is that false teachers will come in among the sheepfold and they're going to look like us. They're going to talk like us. They're going to carry a Bible like us. They're going to worship with us. At least for a while. They will not be able or easily detected at first. So their appearance is very similar. The second thing he says here is something about their testimony. And their testimony can include the preaching of the gospel. In verse 21 he goes on to tell us there. Of a great surprise by even some of these false teachers. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter in the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? And so here we, we have a great surprise. They are even calling upon the name of the Lord. They use the name of Jesus. They carry the Bible. There is such things as false teachers that can preach the real gospel. False teachers do not always inherently preach a false heretical truth. We'll say more about that in a moment. But when Paul was in the imprisonment writing this little epistle to the Philippian church. He is saying in chapter 1, some indeed preach Christ, even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. So there were two kinds of preachers, some which were genuine and true, and some who were preaching the same content of the gospel, but they were not true and genuine. The former 
preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposed to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. So you have two kinds of false teachers, but they are still both preaching the gospel. Balaam in the Old Testament was a prophet who prophesied a true message of blessing upon Israel, but was a traitor of God's holiness and of his life and ultimately of his message. There have been a number of teachers and false preachers throughout the history of the Bible and the history of the church and that are still going on in the name of Jesus who can still preach a gospel that is true to the the basics, but who are not themselves true preachers. And they also are a great danger in what Jesus was warning us against. A third description of these false teachers is that their ministry may actually be used of the Lord in some profitable way. Verse 22, that declaration again, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? That's their defense. And the defense is such that the Lord can look at those things that this person is declaring and agree with the person that indeed that has happened. But that is not the basis upon which He is going to judge them. Because the Lord can use false prophets even in some profitable ways to accomplish His will. In fact, As one of my old professors said, every man, woman, boy, and girl, every human is an agent of God's providence. We are either a willing agent or an unwilling agent, but an agent nonetheless. The Lord may give spiritual power to a man, and yet that man himself may be lost. He did this with a donkey in the Old Testament. In Luke chapter 9 and 10, he takes his 12 disciples, one of whom you already know the end of the story, yeah? The 12, including Judas Iscariot. And he sends them out and he empowers all 12 of them with the power to cast out demons and to heal the sick. And they come back to him and they revel in the fact that, yeah, even the demons were subject to us. And what was not true is Judas was going around. It didn't happen to me. Why did that not happen to me? No, that was not the, 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 the witness there. So the Lord can empower Some, even though they may be false, to even accomplish His purposes and do some profitable things. In Jesus' day, in the Apostles' day, there were even Jewish exorcists. We can read of two accounts of that. One from Luke 11, 19. Another was over in Acts 19. These were Jews. They were not Christians. And they were casting out demons. And they were doing so in 
the Lord's name. At least over in Acts 19, they were trying. That one was actually a fail. But previously to that, they were actually casting out demons. So people may even cast out demons and yet not be in his kingdom. Moses was in Egypt, and even those magicians were able to counterfeit and repeat many of the miracles of Moses up to a certain point. In Matthew 24, 24, Jesus warns us there that false, pri- false Christs will come and false prophets will rise and show great signs and great wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. And the, the promise and the hope there is it is not impossible to ultimately deceive the elect because Christ himself will remove that deception and he's given us a means by which we are p- to be discerning. And he's given us the spirit in order to test the spirits to make sure that they are of God. But he is telling us and he is warning us that we need to be discerning. So with those descriptions, we must look at more than appearances. We must look beyond even testimonies and even works to discern those who could mislead us and draw us away from the narrow way into the broad way which leads to our destruction. I'm very convinced, and I think the Scripture supports this. In fact, I think the Scripture supports this, so therefore I'm convinced of this. Let me put it that way. That these false prophets, by and large, are themselves deceived and do not even understand that they are false prophets. That's why there's the big question in verse 21 and 22. What? It's the big, oh no. In fact, Timothy, uh, Paul was exhorting Timothy with this. He says, but evil men and imposters, that's the false ones, will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being Deceived. They themselves are deceived and they will continue to deceive those others who are vulnerable. So the most dangerous person and the most dangerous person is not the one who is outrageously wrong. But it's the one who has the wrong emphasis. The wrong emphasis. And that's why Paul tells Timothy, you have to preach the entire, the whole counsel of God. Preach the truth. It's not necessarily that a false teacher's message may be all wrong for the moment or in that one particular setting, but the emphasis is off. I was sitting across the desk from a very godly preacher many years ago in the very beginning of my ministry. And he said, Marion, you have to be faithful with the truth and the whole counsel of truth, no matter what the implications it may hold. No matter what. 
He says, because you do not judge a man by merely what he preaches, but you judge a preacher by what he does not preach, what he fails to preach. Do you see how that can change an emphasis of a ministry? If a preacher can preach the truth, but he comes to a passage and he then hedges or he skips over that passage or he doesn't give the emphasis that Christ gives to it, it begins to change the trajectory of the very ministry. Judge not a man by what he merely preaches, but what he also deliberately fails to preach. When Paul was going down to Jerusalem, and then in Acts chapter 20, he calls the disciples, or actually the elders of the church of Ephesus to him, because he was not going back through Ephesus. He wants to meet them one last time, thinking it's probably going to be the last time he sees them face to face. So he calls them to himself, and the The leaders and the elders of the church of Ephesus come to him and meet Paul. And he gives him this last exhortation in Acts chapter 20. And he says, therefore, take heed to yourselves and to the flock among whom or which the Holy Spirit has made you to be overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this. That after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after themselves. Paul had an inclination that even among the elders that he called to himself, from the church of Ephesus, that one or more of them, that he would be clasping with a hug, of which they would be weeping on his neck, would be one of those wolves who would then draw away disciples after themselves. So if they look like a sheep, they sound like a sheep, they kind of do the work of a sheep, Jesus says they're not necessarily a sheep. So then how can we know if they genuinely are a sheep when they may not look, sound, or do like a sheep? And this is the discernment that in spite of all these things, the Lord wants us and He expects us to make. And if we do so, we do so for the sake of our own souls. And He equips us with the Spirit and with the instruction to do just that, to make us successful. But we must give ourselves to His means in order to achieve His ends. So discerning the false prophets among the sheep. This is what He's going to tell us now. The first is a matter of discernment regarding the very message. Does He contradict what Jesus taught about the narrow and the straight gate. That's the first thing that we need to note because He just gets finished teaching us about broad is the way that leads to destruction and broad is that gate, the kind of the main entry gate of the city. 
But the, the way of life is through the very narrow gate, which only one and maybe a sheep at a time can enter through on the side of the city. Now, does his message contradict what Jesus just got finished telling us? That's the first area of discernment about the very message we need to discern. False teachers and false preachers are not as strong on subjects like hell and judgment, repentance and confession, on high pursuit of holiness and purity, of warning against the ways of the world. They can give a false impression in what they fail to preach or what they emphasize about a broad gate. People who will contradict what Jesus says, not to say so blatantly that Jesus lied about those things or was wrong about those things, but it would be more like this. Well, that was a long time ago. And writers of the Bible put their own little twist on those things. Or, well, people have a different interpretation of what that means. How many times have you ever been in a conversation and you come into a conflict of something that is just black and white Scripture and all of a sudden you're having a conversation and say, well, that's your interpretation. Like, well, I'd love to hear yours. I just can't see any clear way to put thou shalt not steal. And you've got the price tag still hanging on it. You gave no money at the register and you're found outside the store and you're guilty. Help me to understand a different interpretation that you can justify your actions. And guess what? There always is. Not biblical. It comes right down to this. Is this the word of God? Is there a God that is so genuinely cares about my soul that He will preserve the accuracy of this book that leads to life? Is that true? Is there really a God? If there is, has He provided a way of salvation? If there is, where am I going to find that? And if it's in this book, then He makes those things clear. And that's why I say a false teacher can be a Baptist, a Methodist, a Presbyterian. He can be a Roman Catholic, Eastern Orthodox. He can be an independent. He can be a Bible church kind of guy. It has even Grace Bible by its name. Or Redeemer. Or any of those other appellatives. But it is possible that a person could teach what Jesus taught here in the Sermon on the Mount and at some point still mislead you. Is it possible for a false prophet to come in Jesus' name? Absolutely. And that's what the end of the passage in verse 21 and 22 revealed to us. Lord, Lord, have I not done this in your name? So first of all, discern the message. And compare it with what Jesus said. The second thing that we're called to discern is the fruit of his life. We are called to be fruit inspectors. And he gives this whole uh, little illustration of 
seeds and plants and fruit that comes from those plants. And he's telling us of an impossible situation. It is impossible to get good fruit from a bad tree and bad fruit from a good tree. It's an impossible situation. So therein lies a discernment for you and to discern those things which are impossible. And when you see something that looks contradictory to that which is possible in the inspection of fruit, then you, that is a clue for you. And when you talk about the fruit, it's a product of the plant or the tree. It is that which the tree or the plant then yields after that tree or plant has matured. There's a plant. You begin to see it. It grows. And then the stalk in the trunk emerges. And then leaves grow. And the fruit is not yet. You begin to see flowering and a a little bud that comes on. And then the flowering of the bud. And then the fruit comes. And that's after a long time of, of particular organic growth. And whatever fruit is produced, it contains the seeds for the next generation of growth as well. And this is the criteria by which we are to judge and inspect the fruit of prophets and teachers and ministers and preachers and leaders. It's the product that they are yielding with their ministry and their lives. Which contains the seeds that will grow again in the likeness of the mother tree. Now you can see that this takes discernment. It takes some time. You have to allow enough time to see the fruit and to inspect the fruit well. Historically, that fruit has... There are two schools of thought in the church regarding the the fruit. Number one, it's their doctrine. Or number two, it's their lies. And there have been good men on either side of that debate. And I think it's both because I do not believe that you can separate out what you believe ultimately from how you live and practice. There's an inseparable link in what you truly believe and how you live. Or how you live reflects truly what you believe. What you embrace. It is out of the heart are the issues of life. So doctrinally, a false preacher may start off sounding very orthodox. And he may be very orthodox in many of his understanding. But his trajectory begins to shift. And yet from the very get-go, there was an issue in his heart where his doctrine was not sound, but it was not evident yet. Now, some inaccuracy does not mean he's a false teacher. Apollos had many things that he wasn't quite accurate on, and he came aside and he learned those things more accurately. So don't take an inaccurate teacher and and immediately assume he's false. There are sometimes even a great danger in those who preach the gospel when there's a big disconnect with what they preach and the lives they live. And see, I think you have to inspect the life. I think you have to see what the life itself begins to yield. What do their marriages look like? What are their children like? Is that not a qualification as we think about a man for a deacon or elder? You have to think about their wives and you have to think about their children. Are their children faithful 
What are their relationships life like? What is their character like? What are their congregations like? What kind of fruit is the man's ministry and his teaching and his example producing? That is where we need to inspect. And there's great dangers even in strong reformed preachers and teachers. Yet, some of these false men who have so much depth to their teaching, yet they embrace so much of the world. And he doesn't exercise love in the relationships around him. And he's so focused on himself and wants to be such a named preacher. And yet his preaching can be captivating. And there are vulnerable sheep that can be so enthralled with the man and his giftedness of speech. And they find great license for their living in ways that they shouldn't. Because they look at the man and the example of his life and his children and his marriage and the people under his ministry. And they can find justification in living licentious because they say, well, they've not been very discerning. Watch out for men's trajectories. What is the general direction of their life? What is their pursuit? And what are their lives producing? It's much deeper than the message which finds its way only to the head. It goes much deeper than the head. You have to see what the heart And the issues that are coming out of it is producing. There's a great danger today in the world of multimedia and social media that we live in. And one of my challenges that I have as a pastor. In trying to guard the sheep here. Is the vulnerableness of the sheep. With so much activity and knowledge out there. And I'm very thankful for many of the true gospel preachers. Of which you can listen to at a moment's notice. But I'm afraid that when you have a particular spirit. And that you're finding this particular pastor that. You adore the teaching of, but then you look at his life on Facebook or Instagram or what his children are doing. And you have a certain letdown in your own spirit from the sense, oh, well, I guess if he lives this way, then I can too. Or I guess if his children do this, then I can too. And there is a a lack of discernment in Some people, because they're so vulnerable as sheep, they look and feel and follow other people's lives that are screaming against the very discernment that Jesus is here encouraging us with. And rather than being fruit inspectors first, they find justification for a particular licentiousness in their own spirit that they were hoping to be justified to begin with. And rather than searching the Scriptures before the face of God and coming to the Spirit to direct the application for them particularly and them personally, they just look out there and say, oh, I can do this. Oh, I can do that. And feel exonerated. 
in their position. And this is exactly what the Apostle Paul was warning to the church of Ephesus. When he was giving his doctrine of the church. When he says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, which is Christ. Christ desires us to be successful in finding and entering into the straight and narrow way. And whatever sacrifice that may mean of our life, not whatever license I can have to live it, whatever what that means that I can take up my life and I can die to myself and pick up my cross and follow Jesus, that's the life that He's calling us to, not seeing how far and how close to the edge we can live and still be saved. The whole mentality is just should, should scream at us that this is not right, this is not right. That's why he's given us warning and instruction at the very end. His whole conclusion is about a warning. Now, if you're going to receive everything I've just preached, now be warned. Because there's going to be many others that tell you a different way, an easier way, a broader way. A way that may satisfy your flesh or all your desires that go against really what I desire for you to do. Because if you think that you can just quote the sixth commandment or the or the ninth commandment or the eighth commandment. Jesus dealt with all that. And if you think you haven't stolen, or you think you haven't committed adultery, or you think you haven't murdered, he said, if you even think angry with your brother without a cause, you've murdered him in your heart. See, he's already dealt with all of those different things. So rather than looking for all the excuses of everywhere I can be exonerated, we need to look deeply and be mournful and we need to grieve and we need to be of the character, the Beatitudes that hunger and thirst after righteousness and not find so many ways to excuse our licentious living that is going in the wrong direction after false teachers or after false examples or after bad things that lead us out of the narrow and straight way right around to the broad way that leads to destruction. See, Jesus has equipped us to rightly discern if we exercise ourselves in the means that He has given. Stay true to the Gospel, but stay true to the Gospel life that it is producing, because both are necessary to get through the narrow way that leads to life. Obey the gospel, Paul would say. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we take heed to this great warning and conclusion of our Lord's message, confessing that our enemy is stronger than we are, And that we need our Lord Jesus Himself to save us from the deception of our own hearts. To save us from the deception of those who would seek to lead us astray. And that we may embrace the narrow way, the sacrificial way, the way of love, and the way of life. And we pray that You would work in each of our hearts and each of our minds that you would give us this discernment 
not just now, but for the rest of our lives, that we would not be children tossed about by every wind of doctrine, but we might grow up in Christ, the one man that we are in him. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.